Well, this is a bit different if you haven't noticed the set yet. As we broadcast from Nashville, it is SEC Media Days 2023, and here we go. A big day today, so be sure that you hit the notifications on whatever device you're on, but particularly YouTube, because we'll be dropping interviews throughout the day. Today is a Monday, so we've got LSU, Missouri, Texas A&M that will be hitting the podium and looking forward to that coverage throughout the day, but we'll drop the individual interviews as far as when they come through and we'll have one-on-ones throughout the day, throughout the week. So make sure you have those notifications on, on YouTube or wherever you might be. I'm joined by the one, the only Caleb Calhoun, Caleb Giroux. We're in Nashville and Calhoun, this is SEC media days and it's going to be a frenetic pace. Fortunately, the first day we just have three teams, but uh, an interesting three teams, to, to say the least, in LSU, Missouri, and AM. Yes, absolutely. One team, we wonder if their head coach is going to last past this year, the highest paid head coach in college football. Another one I am accused of being a homer of because I think they're the best job in America, and I think that they have the best coach since they've seen it. And then another one that I think you and I don't see eye to eye on. I think you were totally like Missouri is just going to be a disaster this year. And, you know, Drew Brees is going to get fired. And I actually think they could be a lot better than people think because they were so close in so many games last year. It's probably good news for uh, Tennessee fans if Missouri's a little bit better than I think because Eli Drinkwitz stays around a while. It's probably a little bit better for the SEC if A&M is somewhere right above average because Jimbo Fisher – uh, stays around a while. So uh, we've got a lot to get to. Caleb Giroux in person in Nashville. And I do think that LSU is going to be an interesting team to watch this year. I feel like it's either going to be Tennessee or LSU that hits that next level as far as being in the conversation of the college football playoff to really pressing uh, Giroux. Whether or not it's LSU or Tennessee, we don't know at this point. But I think those are the two most likely teams to press into the college football playoff as far as the next teams in the SEC. Yeah, but unfortunately, Tennessee has Georgia in its same division. So I feel like for Tennessee, it'll be a little bit hard after running through the defensive gauntlet that Kirby Smart has in Georgia. But, I mean, we saw it last year. LSU made it to the SEC championship with Jaden Daniels as a year one quarterback for them and Brian Kelly fresh into the job. So. I feel like LSU is a very easy place to make that jump, like Calhoun has said before. And I would probably pick LSU just because they don't have to play Georgia this year. Now, next year when there's no divisions, we might talk a little bit different. But I, I find it hard to believe somebody beat Georgia this year in the East. Yeah, and, and we do have coming up uh, a ranking of SEC coaches. We also have uh, Tennessee's new sizes and numbers. I'm talking about physical size of the guys that are actually going to be Uh, on the field this year so they've updated their roster Uh, so we've got a lot going on and we'll talk more LSU Missouri and A&M and how it pertains particularly to the SEC and the uh the the balls so Tennessee already we have seen running big billboards across Nashville with some key players like Joe Milton Cooper Mays and Jacob Warren so uh, they're they're off and running you know, 20 years ago, you would never think to run a billboard. Uh, but nowadays, uh, when you're able to canvas uh, the city of Nashville, how does it help you 
Calhoun. I'm not really sure, but this is a recruiting hotbed, so I get the point of it. I think there are a couple cities as the SEC Media Days event moves around the different cities like Atlanta, potentially Dallas, uh, of course, Nashville, where those billboards make a lot of sense. If they ever had this thing in Oxford, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to run a billboard campaign. Yeah, and not just in Tennessee, too, for the recruiting in Nashville, but look, it's Nash Vegas, and it's the summer, and you have people from all over the country coming down right now. I mean, Broadway in Nashville right now is like Broadway in Manhattan during this time of year, and it's it's another Times Square. Over under, how many woo girls did y'all see the last couple of days in Nashville? I got in late (laughs) and took a nap, so I haven't seen any woo girls yet, but it's the bachelorette party capital of the nation I've been talking it is it is and I was here on Saturday and it was an over under of maybe 25 bridal showers I saw on those little buses and I heard a lot of woos so I just feel like you know we talked about Milton and Cedric Tillman last year being on the billboards in Times Square I'm thinking being on a billboard in Nashville this time of year might even be bigger I'm gonna be honest yeah if, if you are a fiance and you're wife future wife uh her the fiance says i want to go to nashville for my bachelorette party pay to go anywhere else pay to go like Cocoa beach or something like that something that they're not going to get in nearly as much trouble so let's get into it right now updated on tennessee's roster are sizes for the balls and you would expect guys to put on a considerable amount of weight anybody stand out to you as uh, far as uh, sizes and uh, the, you know guys can add 10, 15, 20 pounds in an offseason. So, Calhoun, let me start with you. Anybody stand out to you as far as guys that have added weight to this point? Well, as far as the actual when, – when I'm breaking down the weight of some of these guys, you know, Arian Carter being at 207 pounds, we've talked a lot about him, kind of stands out because I think when he came to Tennessee, Gyro could maybe correct me, but he was – I think he was in the 210 range. So pushing 230 now, given what we think he can be at linebacker as a freshman, that's a really, really, really big deal. Also, John Campbell Jr. is right at 320 now. I think that's where they want him to be because we know that he's pushing at, I believe it's left guard, right? I think he's going to be left tackle last I heard, but that could change in preseason camp. Okay, so left tackle. And left tackle, you would, I think you would theoretically prefer closer to 330, but you can live at 320 at left tackle. And so I think that really stands out. Nico is the story. Nico's at 206 pounds, which is not where he needs to be, but it's much better than where he was when he arrived on campus. I think he was like 190 when he got to campus. They said 190. He looked like he was maybe even lighter um, to me. So I think that's a, that's a great start. Being that You said he was at 209 range? 206. 206. I think you take 206. I think eventually you want him to be 220. Uh, but Caleb... Jaro, that just means to me, even at 206, you don't want him in there with his thin frame anytime soon. And it's hard to gain weight during the season. I think the reoccurring theme at SEC Media Days this week is this needs to be Joe Milton's team. And 206 is life. That makes me think at, at six foot six, he's, it still needs to be Joe Milton's team. Yeah, I agree. And I think we see that because Joe Milton is here representing Tennessee this week. I don't think. They would have sent him if they didn't think he was going to be the starter through the year. It's kind of a vote of confidence from Josh Heupel and his staff that they trust Joe Milton to come to SEC Media Days, represent Tennessee, represent the university. And I, I assume we'll see him starting 
throughout the year. I, I agree. I don't think you want to throw Nico out there at two and six and jeopardize his career, especially when down the line he's the quarterback of the future at Tennessee. So I agree. I think he needs to add some more weight. 206 still seems very light. I know he was light in spring camp. He looked light in spring camp. But that's what he has a year to sit and do is gain weight and learn the offense a little better. Yeah, and I, I don't want to knock on some of the freshmen because they've only been here for about six weeks. But you got Jordan Matthews at about 182 pounds. I think you'd like him to be just a little bit bigger. Uh, some other numbers that stuck out to me and – this is not a surprise, but Keenan Pilly is solid 240 pounds as a transfer. And I think you and I agree, maybe of all the transfers, that he's the most likely to be a starter Calhoun from day one. Yeah, and it kind of shocked me too because we worried about Keenan Pilly's lateral quickness when he arrived. And I think that just had our, our thoughts of him coming from BYU, thinking he didn't have what Jeremy Banks' quickness was going to be. So you worry about his quickness, and then he puts on weight to get to 240 pounds, and you're thinking – well, if he got to, if he's at 240 pounds now, that's by design. That's what the conditioning wanted. That's what the coaches wanted him to be at. And so I guess they think that he can maintain his quickness and athleticism at that weight. That's going to be the most interesting thing to pay attention to because if he has, if he is as if he is as quick as we think he needs to be in the SEC at that weight, I mean, we're talking through the roof potential at that point as a linebacker. And I didn't think he would be better than Jeremy Banks, but I'm thinking, okay, maybe he could be better than Jeremy Banks at that point. And we know he has a better – We I think we all believe he has better intangibles than Jeremy Banks. But yeah. at, at this point, he might actually just be a better linebacker than Jeremy Banks if he can keep any quickness at that weight, which is going to be a huge, huge deal. You and I know Tim Banks and the schemes he runs and the blitz packages he does. He needs that one big linebacker that's almost the quarterback of that mid-level of the defense. And it looks like they are all in on Peely doing that. The other guy that surprised me in his weight in a very good way. First, I want to tell you about Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com for your dog or cat or any pet. They have all the holistic treats that you will like. They also have the chill pills with the CBD derivative. The chill pills are fantastic if your pet has any issues with, say, digestive tract or let's say, anxiety is a real possibility as well. Um, and uh, they, they will take care of you with chill pills, a CBD derivative in there. They've got non-CBD as well. But with the chill pills, you'll be well taken care of. Use the promo code off the hook. That's the promo code off the hook for 20% off. Also helps a great deal with arthritis. I do not believe offensive linemen step in and have a huge impact from day one. It just does not happen in the SEC. But you look at one of their most highly touted prospects, uh, Jairo, and it's, uh, it's Shamarad Yumarev, who is up to 320 pounds, six foot seven. Probably want him to be a tackle long term, but at 320 pounds, if he has leverage at that size, Maybe he can step in and play some guard because I think Tennessee's a little light there uh, in the interior of, of the offensive line. So, Yumarov, maybe he's the guy that we've overlooked in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and thinking back to spring practice, even when he was probably a little lighter, still trying to put on weight, he moves well and looked good going through drills with Glenn Eller being the other offensive line. He held his own in 1v1 drills whenever they were running those as well. So, I think – a year when you need offensive lineman depth, and especially moving forward, even just thinking about next year and the year after, having Umarov at that 320, 6'7 weight, being able to add more weight if you need him on the interior and 
assuming he can still move well like he was in the spring. I think he also could have an impact. We think about how quickly these offensive linemen can burn out too when you're running, you know, 70, 80, 90 plays a game in this Tennessee offense. I think you need to have a lot of offensive linemen who can come and step in. And you also look at a guy like Larry Johnson, who's a super big dude out of junior college, who was 6'7", 348 pounds. He's another guy where if one of your starters does go down or he might even compete for a starting spot, you can at least trust him to look the SEC way, look like an SEC offensive lineman, whether he plays like it. It's to be determined, but he'll look the part and have the weight to stand his own on that offensive line. And that's one of the unsung heroes of last season was we never had any issues with Darnell Wright giving up sacks or with Spragans, even any of those guys. You never worried that they were going to miss their block or miss their assignment. And that's a big question mark going into this year is who's going to fill those shoes. So Calhoun, let me, let me get to you. Ranking SEC coaches right now, to me, it's, you got Kirby Smart, and you've got Nick Saban for different reasons. Kirby Smart's recent success, and then the sustainability that Nick Saban's put together in the Alabama football program. That's on another tier to me. And then, so the, the next tier down includes a high pull, includes a Brian Kelly, but who do you have in the next tier down? What are your thoughts on ranking coaches? Yeah, so number uh, in that top tier, I still have Saban number one, Kirby Smart number two. Sorry, Georgia fans, but like legacy still outweighs two years, in my opinion. So I'm still going to have Saban number one and Smart number two. Now, you guys tell me if you want to fight me on this, and I'll sit here and I'll take punches from both sides. I got Mark Stoops at number three. And I got Mark Stoops at number three because I think he has maxed out the job that can be done in Kentucky. And I don't think anybody since Bear Bryant has come close to doing the job Mark Stoops has done in Kentucky. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the numbers, he's had more success than any Kentucky coach since Bear Bryant. That's a really, really good company to be in. And I think 10-3 and three at Kentucky is like going 13-0 at a one of the power six, seven SEC schools. And then I got Brian Kelly fourth at LSU because of the work he's done at Notre Dame. I think getting Notre, getting Notre Dame to a national championship game is like going above what's possible at Notre Dame today. So by that, I got to get Brian Kelly in the top four. Then I've got Josh Heupel at number five. But I think Heupel, Kelly, and Stoops are all in that tier just behind Smart and Saban. And that doesn't necessarily mean, like, if I'm hiring a coach right now, I still would consider hiring Heupel, Mark Kelly, Brian Kelly, or Mark Stoops over Saban or Kirby Smart. But I can't, I still can't ignore the results at a certain point. I just think that Nick Saban is in his 70s and Kirby Smart is at the one of the easiest places to win at in college football. So that's the only reason that I have reservations, but at the same time, I can't ignore the results. So you're right. Those are the top two. And then that's my next three. I don't have a problem with what you, you got out of Stoops. I mean, they were respectable last year with a quarterback that I thought was overrated and a quarterback that dealt with a ton of injuries. I feel like sometimes with Will Levis were a little too hard on him because of the injuries he had. So I don't have a problem with Stoops. I mean, Kentucky's an impossible place to win on that second tier gyro with uh brian kelly and josh heupel does josh heupel have the ability if if you got kelly above him and i think most people would because of the longevity and what he did at notre dame is it even possible for josh heupel to jump him this year or in the next couple three years or is it going to take a little bit longer i can see it in the next couple of years just depending on what happens at LSU relative to Tennessee especially when you get rid of divisions 
next year and you have these teams and you, you can compare every team head to head. At the end of the year, we're going to look at the SEC and say, hey, where does LSU stand versus Tennessee when they're both allegedly playing the same difficulty of schedule? And I, I agree that Josh Heupel and Brian Kelly would be in that same ranking with Mark Stoops. I think Mark Stoops is probably at the bottom of that tier, Calhoun, to disagree with you. But I think Kelly and Heupel are both fighting for that top spot in that tier. And I think Heupel could get it if he gets Tennessee back to the levels Tennessee was at in the late 90s. And that starts with recruiting. If he can start beating out the guys in tier one, like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart to get to that next level. And then we could talk about if he has a better season than LSU one year, maybe Tennessee has reached that peak. Let me ask you both this, and I'll start with you, Jero. Who are the, the coaches that Tennessee wants to have success? Not against them, but wants to have success so they stay around a little bit. I, I would say that Eli Drinkwitz is one, and he'll hit the podium on day one of SEC media days. Just hang around, win eight games, be beatable by the elite teams, which I think a lot of Tennessee fans expect Tennessee to be pretty soon, but still beatable by Alabama, Georgia, but he just kind of hangs around. I would throw Billy Napier in there unless he proves me wrong this year because I'm not high on him as a coach. Uh, As far as other coaches you'd like to see stay around, I'm going to get – torn up by South Carolina fans, but I I don't see long-term success for Shane Beamer. But out of that group that we mentioned, Mark Stoops is going to give you a challenge most each and every year. You would like to him for him to get a bigger, better job because I don't know that historically Kentucky can replace him with a a coach nearly as good as Stoops. Yeah, and it's really scary if Stoops goes to, let me just throw out a name, if he goes to Alabama when Nick Saban retires. And that's not impossible. Scoop that Stoops is indirectly part of the Saban coaching tree because he coached under Florida State when right. Jimbo Fisher was there. And funny enough, when Jeremy Jeremy Pruitt was hired as Stoops' replacement, a defensive coordinator in 2013, won the assistant coach of the year. Apparently, couldn't be a head coach worth anything, but <laughs> but won the assistant coach of the year that year. So I think Stoops, you could definitely see him make that move. Now the question becomes. With the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams in two years, do you think it's possible that Kentucky could – they're not going to win the SEC, but they could sneak into the playoff every now and then. Do you think Stoops may think, I got a pretty good gig here, not a lot of pressure, and I can still get to the playoff at Kentucky now because of the 12-team playoff. It's really not worth it for me to go anywhere else. If he's good with that, and I think some coaches are, at some point, though, he is going to see his – his family have you know, the, the, the success they've had. And I think want to be a true competitor for a national champion. I mean, you're right with a 12 team playoff, you could sneak in there one every three years, maybe even two or three years, but not really be a real contender. So I think that depends on what he ultimately wants and he can only answer that question. So coming up next on the program, We'll have ranking, uh, not SEC football coaches, but also uh, the group of day one participants, LSU, Missouri, and A&M. Some angles that we'll take with those guys. And again, be on the channel on YouTube. Subscribe, set the notifications on because we're going to upload interviews as we have them. But as we do each and every weekday, we'll be with you at 10 o'clock. So it is a big, big week, SEC media days. 
they want LSU, Missouri, and A&M, and they all in some shape or form affect the balls, whether you think that Brian Kelly is a better second-tier coach than Josh Heupel, what you think of Missouri. Did they feel like they got their nose rubbed in a little bit last year? Are they angry? Are they upset? And then A&M will play Tennessee this year. Also, we're going to get to some NCAA blowback because a lot of that news, all of that news, was dumped on a Friday, and that's news dump day on a Friday afternoon when you hope things kind of go undercover a little bit and that has uh, been the case i didn't think tennessee got beat up over the weekend so we'll discuss that dante stallworth who played the part of peter warwick uh, before the national championship game is on the youtube channel now also cooper mays the ball report brought to you by city heating and air conditioning will be up very soon so a lot to get to day one sec media days in exactly Two minutes. It will be, should Tennessee be afraid of Missouri and the fact that that's going to be a revenge game on the Tigers' side? Stay tuned. Two minutes off the hook sports. And Craving Wings South North Shore location where we've heard people say that you can get the best wings in East Tennessee. Pero quien es este? El número 87, Jacob Warren. I'll just do six of my sauce 87, please. Imposible, señorita. Dale seis más. Look at these wings. Perfectas, deliciosas, fantásticas. Man, I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. How do you say fresh, never frozen in Spanish? Frescas, nunca congeladas. Make your way to Craven Wings and get you seis más. But what was funny about Cadiz, we were a full continuum of care at that time. We had detox, we had inpatient, we had outpatient. So we were doing a lot of the things that we do now. But now we just do them so much better. It's really a simple program, but it's, we're complicated people. I am what I am, and now I gotta do something about it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasty's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasty Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Welcome back live from Nashville, day one of SEC Media Days and news from the NCAA investigation on Tennessee broke last week. And I think we would all agree that minor scholarship reductions, no bowl ban, $8 million. And um, 
you know, essentially some recruiting restrictions were a pretty good day for Tennessee. Over the weekend, let me start with you, Jairo. What did you think of the penalty that Tennessee received? And not only that, but the blowback they got over the weekend. Because there's no question they dropped it on a Friday afternoon news dump day. I didn't think the blowback was that significant. A lot of media, even still on vacation before SEC media days, I didn't sense a lot of you know, Tennessee got what they deserved or Tennessee deserved to get punished. Or I, I got the feeling that this was kind of a, a ho-hum conclusion to an investigation that's been hanging over Tennessee for years. Yeah, I agree. And I didn't see much blowback from any media really saying that Tennessee should have got more punishment. We also saw Heupel go on the Paul Feinbaum show on Friday as well and talk about how he felt the allegations were fair, that his current players are not being punished for what past players and coaches did. So another thing with that is the punishment that the NCAA handed down was already being self-imposed by Tennessee. So the punch that Tennessee is taking is really not that big a deal as well. I think they, uh, the NCAA said they have to lose a certain amount of scholarships, and they only have 10 left to cut over the next five years. So if they cut two a year, then they'll fulfill what the NCAA handed down. So I agree. I think that this was a very sound end to the NCAA investigation. The NCAA said if Tennessee hadn't cooperated, hadn't self-imposed, hadn't got rid of Jeremy Pruitt, that the punishment would have been a lot more, even talking about a postseason ban. But we see, I think, a fair conclusion that the current players and staff don't have to worry as much about being punished for what Jeremy Pruitt and his staff did and players in the past. And then Caleb Calhoun, Jeremy Pruitt, tries to turn this into somewhat of a racial issue, that why he gave money to players – uh, it's a it's a little bit silly to be honest with you, but give us an update on that on news that uh, came out Monday that he um, was giving money to players. Why <laughs> he told investigators that a player's mother approached him in the parking lot outside of the Tennessee football complex in tears because of financial hardship, and that she had nowhere to turn for money. And he admitted to giving her cash from his car, and he said that. He felt his privilege, her race, and the social unrest that was going on in 2020 was all on her mind. And then he goes, then you throw in George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. So you sit there as a white man and you see all this going on and you can see these kids suffering. What do those people have? What does those situations have anything to do with giving a player's mom cash? I mean, like, like those are serious things that happen. I mean, that's, that's a totally separate thing from – from this, and like, does anybody really believe that's what's on Pruitt's mind when he's giving players and their moms money? Uh, no, and I think it speaks to his intelligent level that he would try to float that out there and try to make that a thing, Jaro. I mean, that does it, is anybody buying that and looking at Jeremy Pruitt as a sympathetic figure? Uh, no, I agree with Calhoun. I think he was trying to draw whatever straw he could pick out to try to have a defense for what he did because he knew it wasn't right, obviously. But, I I mean, is would those be worthy causes? Sure. Were those Jeremy Pruitt – was that Jeremy Pruitt's cause? I highly doubt that was what was on his mind. His, all he was worried about is getting five-star recruits any way he could and getting them to Tennessee and trying to win games, and he still couldn't achieve that, so – I agree with Calhoun. I think that's just a crazy thing for him to say. He's just trying to grasp at straws, and he tried to avoid whatever penalties he was given. 
Calhoun, he's not a PR guy, and we don't expect him to be. He's he's straight up a football coach. Some coaches are pretty good at PR. He's not, and he shouldn't have to be. But did it even cross his mind how this might play? Because it just plays publicly like he is grasping at straws is the best word I can use, or just not very bright. Yeah, my kindest defense of him is that maybe this is a snippet that we got from things he told investigators. So maybe this was him throwing anything he could to defend himself to the investigators, not really expecting this to get out from a PR perspective. And so that's my kindest defense. I will say you guys are both underselling how smart Jim McCrewin is because Tennessee has to vacate their wins from 2019 and 2020. But you know what? You can't vacate wins if you don't win. Very, very smart by Jeremy Pruitt right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I, Jeremy Pruitt with a six-year show cause, and I was talking to somebody who was close to Jeremy Pruitt and somewhat of a sympathetic figure to him, and he said, does that essentially mean he can't coach? Well, it doesn't mean he can't coach, but the institution would have to show cause as to why he is a good hire and why he's a safe hire as far as not committing NCAA violations. That all being said, most institutions, unless this were just an incredible coach, and Bruce Pearl's a prime example of that, he still had to sit his three years of his show cost penalty, and he was an incredible coach, much better than Pruitt, we would all agree. It essentially is a six-year bowl ban. And I'm, I'm sorry, a six-year ban on your professional career. So you can call it all you want to, but it's essentially saying you can't coach for six years this is a major, major explosion for a guy that I don't think has a home in the NFL because he is a recruiter first and foremost, a talent evaluator first and foremost. There's not going to be an NFL team that's going to have him judge college to NFL talent. This is a, an A-bomb the type, or a meteor, that the, the kind that killed the dinosaurs to his career. This is very bad for Jeremy Pruitt. We didn't look at it from his perspective on Friday. And I know a lot of our listeners and viewers don't care, and I don't blame you. This is a, a pretty big A-bomb for his career. Absolutely. And he doesn't have the credibility of Bruce Cole. You're right. Look, he doesn't even have the credibility of Donnie, Donnie Tindall, who also got a show calls. Whatever you think of Donnie Tindall, he knew basketball. That guy had a great system in place. I'm thoroughly convinced Tennessee would have been a national title contender year in and year out had Donnie Tindall stayed at Tennessee basketball and not gotten in trouble. Pruitt, you you brought this up to me, is considered a, was considered a defensive wizard as a coordinator largely because he was just ahead of the curve on technique for edge rushers. Mm-hmm. Well, now everybody's doing that now. So does Pruitt really have anything unique to him as a defensive coordinator anymore? I don't think he does. So – I, I'm with you. He's just a recruiter, just a talent evaluator. And that alone isn't going to be enough to, one, get you a job during your show calls. And when your show calls is up, I mean, look, when his show calls is up, he's going to be pushing 50. I think he might be 50 at that point. That's not the best time to restart your career. But I mean, this is it for him. And I mean, I, you know, yes, he did it to himself. I hope he's financially okay because he did get paid well at Tennessee. You never know with situations like that. But you still hate to see this for somebody, even if they, even if they, you know, he, again, Pruitt's getting a show calls, but like we've talked about before, he's not guilty of some sort of crime against humanity here. Agreed. And, and I empathize, Jairo, with the pressures that coaches are under. Coaches for a long time determined who got the drug tests and they knew who not to drug test. So 
a lot of these coaches make questionable decisions, not money and Chick-fil-A bags, but a lot of them make those questionable decisions and then they get stuck with it. I empathize, but I don't sympathize. Those are two very different words because ultimately he not only had himself, but his wife and staffers and it was just a very sloppy, sloppy way to cheat. Yeah. And y'all talked about him moving to the NFL. He was a defensive assistant for the giants. He wasn't retained after his one year with them. So we see some of the other assistants that got a show called succeeding in the NFL and having coaching careers in the NFL. I guess Jeremy Pruitt could go back to being a high school coach. That would be the only thing I could see if he is, if he does just want to stay around football, he's a high school coach in Alabama before. It's just, I don't think he'll ever coach again in college because even after that show calls and you hire like a Jeremy Pruitt, that doesn't drum up a fan base or drum up an athletics department. Also, even if Pruitt does get hired, he has a year suspension he would have to, if you get past the show calls, he has a year suspension before he could ever coach in that six-year span. So I just don't – I don't see him ever coaching again, like y'all said. And I, I guess it is unfortunate for a guy who was a very good defensive mind, but that's the – what happens whenever you hand out money and yeah. Chick-fil-A or McDonald's bags and then still don't win football games. Give him some breaks. Go kick rocks. Um, Missouri will be a part of the day one SEC Media Days event that we're broadcasting live from in Nashville. And – Missouri guys is a football team that Calhoun, you're a little bit higher on than I am. And I want to get to that, but Caleb Drew, I would definitely think that Eli Drinkwitz, he dropped, I think day one of SEC media days in 2022, the comments on the Jim Rome show ripping Tennessee that didn't work out as the balls hammered Missouri last year. I would think he might keep his mouth shut just a little bit more this year because uh, I, I think that uh, clearly Josh Heupel put that in his back pocket. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what they say, if they'll have any extra motivation going into the Tennessee game this year. Obviously, it's in Columbia, so obviously I don't think anybody will say Missouri is the best home field advantage fan-wise, but the weather always is bad in Columbia, Missouri, so that, that'll be a factor. I, uh, I'm curious to see what they say, if that is a motivation, if that's even a thing they're thinking about, or if they're just trying to make a point season i'm not sure what the thought process is at missouri but we'll find that out today and we talked about it before but i would say drinkwitz is one of those coaches that as a tennessee football program and tennessee fans they want him to stay around so yeah. i think i think he probably has reached his ceiling of a 500 record maybe one game over if he can sneak an upset over a florida when they're down like they have been recently Kind of, kind of like when Alabama, what Tennessee football coach did he repeatedly say is doing a good job? Was that Dooley or Pruitt? Uh, it was Dooley. Nick Saban kept – everybody was talking about how great of a job Dooley was doing during that period, and it was – it's funny you say that. Yeah, typically if, if, if the rest of the SEC likes your coach, he's not a good coach. Exactly. <laughs> and you had the same thing that happened with Rick Patino talking about – can't believe people want to run Wade Houston out of there back in the day. And Wade Houston the next season won five basketball games. So uh, now I think Tennessee fans want Eli to hang out a while, uh, especially after last year. Okay, so let's turn to LSU. LSU is one of the more intriguing programs in the nation. Are they elite yet? Probably not, but we've seen teams, LSU in 2019, go from being very good to elite. Jairoic 
it, it could happen. Jaden Daniels got more comfortable throughout the season. They improved throughout the season. That's typical of a Brian Kelly team. I, I know Calhoun's high on Kelly, and we'll talk about that. But LSU, I believe, is, you know, if you had to just pick a team that you wanted to up and cover from a beat reporter standpoint, I think they would be one of those because I think they'll be better than they were last year. We'll see if the record indicates that because they had some good fortune as well. But this LSU team in day one of SEC media days appears to be on the rise. I don't think there's any question. Yeah, I agree. And I think their schedule this season is very favorable for them to succeed. Obviously, you circle the road trip to Tuscaloosa as the game for them. That'll probably be the SEC West championship if we assume the season goes like it should. They open with Florida State in Orlando. That'll be a revenge game for LSU. I can see them making a jump and competing. They made the SEC championship last year. I don't know how much you want to say they competed with Georgia in the SEC championship, but I can see them competing for the championship, maybe even vying for a playoff spot. Because from my point of view, having a, re- a returning quarterback or a trustworthy guy like Jaden Daniels, who we saw grow from really in week one, he was more of a running back than a quarterback, to the, the end of the year he was – two-way dual threat, I could see him leading LSU to a successful season. But a road trip to Tuscaloosa is really the only game on their schedule I could see them dropping. I mean, their SEC East opponent this season is Missouri. They have a non-conference game with Army, which might be uh, get a little crazy because nobody wants to guard the option in the middle of the season. But mm-hmm. I think their schedule is very favorable. Jaden Daniels is part of a year of, of great quarterback stories that includes uh, him and Hooker and how well he played. Uh, Jaden Daniels, not the fastest start to the season, but continued to improve a lot of quarterback stories last year. Stetson Bennett, I thought, took a significant step. And we we knew that Bryce Young was going to be really good. But there were a lot of significant stories uh, from last year. There's not going to be as many this year. So Jaden Daniels, Joe Milton, Spencer Rattler, who I failed to mention earlier, are kind of like the guys that are carrying the banner for newsworthiness at the quarterback position. Not not the greatest players, I don't want to say that, but they're they're the guys that are carrying the tradition of, hey, these are guys that you want to tune in and see how they're doing because it affects the conference. Those are the guys. Devin Leary at Kentucky is also on that list because he's a transfer and Liam Cohen's coming back, but I agree. Those are the other three, and I'm not – you know, because, you know, to, to bring out my LSU homerism that always comes through on the show, uh, I'm not actually saying, I don't even know how newsworthy Jane Daniels is because I think we know he's going to be really good. I think right now, if you were to look at the most sure bet in the SEC, it might be Jane Daniels. If you, I mean, if you were to say the best quarterback in the SEC right now, I mean, it's Jane Daniels and KJ Jefferson. Those are the top two. And I think, look, Arkansas fans, I'm sorry. I think KJ, I think Jane Daniels is better than KJ Jefferson. Honestly, I feel like KJ Jefferson has reached his max. I feel like Jaden Daniels might have a little bit more upside from what we've even seen. I don't know that we're going to see Jefferson get significantly better at Arkansas this year. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think I think he he it's it's one of those situations where and you see how many times have you covered this, Dave? Or particularly with mobile quarterbacks. They take one year by firestorm, and they're really, really good. And then defensive coordinators kind of figure out what they what they can do and are pretty good at adjusting to them on the fly, and they're not as good the next year as they were that first year. I mean, we've seen this, and look, to a degree, that happened with T. Martin. I mean, T. Martin was a lot better in 98 than he was in 99. 
if you look at the stats. And I think a lot of people kind of figured out how to play him in 1999. And so that seems like that's what happened with KJ Jefferson, honestly. Very true. We talked the Aggies, who Tennessee plays next and will be up front on the podium on day one of SEC Media Days. And is the SEC or Big Ten more likely to have two playoff teams? Exactly two minutes back with the full gang, Jairo Calhoun, and I'm Dave Hooker as we broadcast live from Nashville. It is SEC Media Days, two minutes. Sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. With Caleb Calhoun and Caleb Giroux, I'm Dave Hooker. We want to talk one final team that certainly concerns uh, the balls, and that is Texas A&M as Tennessee will host the Aggies and is the uh, SEC or Big Ten more likely to have two playoff teams. We're talking about this year, Calhoun, right, with the four teams? Yes, this year. Yes, because I think after this year, they're likely to always have two teams and maybe even three. So let's get to that. But let's start with the Aggies and this coverage of SEC Media Days Day 1 is brought to you by Zen Sports. Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with their cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash. How about that? For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED. 
That's right, unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting and keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that and refer friends to a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. If you had a bet that AM will be significantly better with Bobby Petrino, the same or worse, Caleb Jaro, let me start with you. If you had a place to bet with Zen Sports, what would it be? I think they'd say the same. I don't think they'll, I find it hard to believe they can get much worse with that coaching staff remaining with their jobs. But I don't see a way they can get better either. I mean, your quarterback questions are even bigger this season because you couldn't figure it out last year. And now you have those same guys this year. So your quarterback is even more in question. Bobby Petrino is not a very, let's get excited, hire, we're going to run the spread offense. It's, it just doesn't – whatever's happening in, in College Station right now, Jimbo Fisher-wise, football-wise, is not good. And they had a ton of transfer portal exits, which is not a good sign for your program really as a whole either. So I feel like this is a make it or break it year for that program. I think it's it should be a make it or break it year. I think they'll be a hair better because Bobby Petrino will add some organization. But I say hair better. I'm not talking about pushing for a playoff spot. And I think it's a frustrating season for the Aggies because they get a hair better and you hang on to Jimbo Fisher, partly because of the contract, and you think, oh, they're a hair better. I think it's a frustrating year for the Aggies who will play in Neyland Stadium, but the the overall trend of the program is not going in the right direction, even if I'm right about one year. You think a Bobby Petrino who can bring organization, the guy who couldn't keep his affairs quiet when he was (laughs) – I think he's a I think he's a good enough coach and has probably learned from that that he can straighten the ship a little bit, but it's still headed somewhere out in the South Atlantic. He's gotten himself caught in how many different scandals though? A I lot. mean it, it, it's and it's not the scandals, I'm not judging character. I'm saying, man, can you not you not know how to keep this stuff under wraps? I, I don't think it's gonna work. I wanna be honest. I think they 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 lose that second the second week of the year they play at Miami. And then the fourth week of the year, they play Auburn, a, another coach who has a problem with women. <laughs> and so, uh, but I do think Hugh Freeze is going to beat them. And then they play Arkansas. I think they're going to be two and three by October. And then October, they got Alabama, Tennessee. So we're talking two and five before the bye week. And then I just think the bottom falls out of Texas a and I've seen this before. I've seen it where I've seen where coaches in trouble, the seats warm, and then they make a bunch of staff overhauls which happened here. Dave, that's never worked. Has that ever worked in your history of covering college football where a desperate staff overhaul worked out? It has worked to do what I said earlier, and that's hang on for a year. It is. It has never worked in which – because the players know. The, I mean, the players know that the pressure's on. And it's never worked to the point in which, hey, this program's completely turned around and everything's fine. It's never worked at that point, and I don't anticipate it doing now. Yeah, I don't think it will either. And all I'm all I'm reminded of is Derek Julie in 2012 and Butch Jones in 2017. Both had massive staff turnovers, hired new coordinators. Derek Dooley hired Sal Sinceri, the worst offensive coordinator hire ever. Butch Jones hired Larry Scott, the worst offensive coordinator hire ever. And it just wrecked the program. It reminds me too of another one, another similarity is uh our our old friend Will Muschamp at Florida. They had a losing season in 2013. 
he fires Brent Peace at the time. Kurt Roper comes in the next year. Desperation move doesn't work out. Florida has the same season they had the year before. And then Will Muschamp is fired. Now, where the issue is, I will say this: they could the bottom could theoretically fall out in the sense that they could go. Let's let's call it what it is. If Texas A&M goes six and six, that's bad for them. They're not happy at that. I agree. I see, and and you and I are close. I think on the predictions, I see about a seven and five team. Okay. Which gives him another year. Right. That's what I was going to say. Seven and five or six and six. They're, the fans are mad about that if they get that. But they're still keeping Jimbo Fisher because what are you going to do? You've thrown all this money around and you, you have to keep him. And then Jimbo Fisher will every week be like, well, our players didn't execute because that's all he's got for every time he loses because it's always the players not executing his fault. It's never his fault. And so it's True. it's just going to be a disaster. And then I think, I think Texas A&M fans are going to reach a point where they want Texas A&M to keep losing. And I know you weren't covering at the time, but in 2017, Butch Jones, Tennessee fans were embracing other teams blowing them out every week. They so badly wanted him gone. They they loved watching Tennessee get blown out every week because they wanted him fired. Um, what is most likely? Is it six and six, which I think would get Jimbo Fisher fired despite the huge uh, payout, the buyout, or is it an eight or nine win season? in which Jimbo Fisher shows improvement and they get a little jazzed about 2024. What's more likely? I think between those two, it's six and six. By far, it's more likely than eight or eight nine ones. Jarrett? I mean, if he can sneak one out against Miami, he might get eight wins, but it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be a excited for the future. Eight wins. It'd be a, we should have done a lot better. Eight wins, I feel. Because when you look at their schedule, I mean, the SEC West is still difficult. You have to come to Tennessee, which that will be difficult for them as well. And the pressure is going to be building. When you lose a couple of games, all of a sudden it's in your head like, hey, we're on the verge of losing our entire losing our jobs. So I agree with Calhoun where the, you'll feel that pressure. The locker room will have that pressure, kind of that weight hanging over them. Of If they don't start performing in the back half of the season, there might not be a next season for Jimbo Fisher. So Jimbo Fisher is an offensive line coach, and I go back to when Philip Fulmer, not offensive line coach, an offensive coach, but I go back to Philip Fulmer, who is an offensive line coach, and he hired a guy, Dave Clawson. So that turned out to be a terrible hire, flip-flopping the offensive line, but at least Philip Fulmer went outside of what he was comfortable with. I don't think Jimbo Fisher's done that at all would he have been better off to say uh like the offensive coordinator that got hired at clemson i'm going to do something up tempo and different crazy and see what happens because he didn't yeah he would have but you're right fisher is still the believer in the i call it the cam cameron way of coaching offense Mm. which is run the pro style let me call the plays as the offensive coordinator quarterback has no freedom whatsoever I call all the plays and we run the pro style and I call them out of a huddle. That's Jimbo Fisher in a nutshell. That's honestly, funny enough, what the USC offense was. You know this with Pete Carroll in the 2000s. Lane Kiffin wasn't very big on giving his quarterbacks freedom. He wanted to call all the plays for them specifically. And that was the pro style way of thinking. And it worked for a while, but I don't think that works in college football anymore. I, I don't think it works in the NFL anymore. I think you have to – if your quarterback can't make a uh, doesn't have the option to make a couple of reads on every play, your offense is going to be a disaster now, isn't it? No, agree, agree. Uh, changing topics here is Heather Denich's lead, who's an ESPN senior reporter, uh, and she said the SEC needed only one team to reach the college football playoff last year to earn a na- another national title. But there were moments 
the SEC could get three teams in, and Alabama, LSU, and Tennessee uh, were in that mix. Of course, Georgia was going to be the team that was going to make it. We all knew that. But I don't see the college football playoff ever allowing – well, we just got one year left. I don't see them allowing three teams in a four-team playoff from one conference. I just don't think that's a good look. I don't care if you can make the strongest argument in the world. They're going to find a way to manipulate that and bring in somebody else from another conference or a second team from another conference. But as we are at the beginning of the football season, the Big Ten or the SEC, who's more likely to get two teams in the college football playoff right now? It's not because it's the better conference, but it's the Big Ten. And the reason it's the Big Ten is because there were legitimately only three elite teams in the Big Ten. So it's not like they can all beat each other up to give each other three losses on the year. So Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, one of those teams – there's a chance that two of those teams have one loss at the end of the year. There's a chance they all beat each other and they're all 11-1 and at the end of the year. Sure. And – and so, and then one of them, ha- and then you have to figure out who's going to win the division and then who's going to play for the Big Ten title. You could really theoretically see that. And because of that, it's the Big Ten. Because I don't see anybody in the Big Ten not named Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan that's beating Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan this year. Agreed. And you could see, uh, Jaro, you could see those losses be to each other. And the Big Ten have a real argument with three one loss teams that they should get three teams in the college football playoff. Again, I I just don't believe because of TV exposure and what all is going on with the rest of the uh, college football world as far as the ACC and Pac-10-12 trying to stay together, I don't think you're going to see three teams. But I'm with Calhoun for the same reasons. I I think the Big Ten is more likely to get two teams in as Alabama's in a bit of a transition year. I believe Georgia will begin. And then Tennessee and LSU are the next couple of teams that are battling for that position. But even though I think the SEC is the better conference, I think the Big Ten is the more likely to get two teams in this year. Uh, I would disagree a little bit. I do agree that I don't think we'll see three teams in. I mean, even this past season, there wasn't a clear number four seed, but we saw TCU get in and they'll find a way to work another conference in. Cause I feel like three teams from one conference just for T. I mean, you're going to have a rematch somewhere more than likely. And we know how they feel about rematches. They will rework seeds just to avoid that rematch and give teams harsher opponents. I think we can see the sec get two teams in compared more than more likely than the big 10, just for the simple fact that Alabama plays Texas and LSU plays Florida state. Mm-hmm. So if we see Florida state, win ACC championship, which she points out in this article, or if we see Texas take the Big 12 championship and then LSU or Alabama has a win over that team, but then one loss in their conference record, that would boost their resume enough, I would think, for them to get in. As we've seen in the past where sometimes the two best teams are in the same side of the SEC. So you have to work around that. And if you have a win over an ACC champion or a Big 12 champion, or both if it works out in that case, then I don't see why we couldn't have an LSU or Alabama both make it into the playoff and just whoever lost their matchup be the lower seed. And Caleb, here's why you and I disagree on the television contracts. I think you're right on the front end that the Big Ten got the better television contract. They're spread out. They're going to get more money. 
But the SEC contract is with this group called ESPN. We've all heard of them. And I think ESPN pulls more strings than even we realize. If it comes down to a second Big Ten team or a second SEC team, I think ESPN would have some pull. If it's really, really close, if it's a coin flip, to get the second SEC team in because of their long-term relationship. I mean, yes, but and, and but they could have gotten that and still gotten more money in the contract and not been stuck right. not been stuck in a 10-year deal while the Big Ten is in a seven-year deal right now. And look, we've all seen the this we've all seen the stories where ESPN, just because of the business model of cord cutting, is having to lay people off left and right, which none of us like. We all hate when people lose their jobs. It's not a good thing. But this SEC deal is going to save ESPN because they're paying pennies on they're, they're paying pennies on the dollar, and they're going to be making in bank on this. And it's and it's funny because people the SEC we know this from behind the scenes. They're desperately trying to renegotiate with ESPN. Why would ESPN renegotiate with the SEC? Like we got this deal, you guys signed it. We got y'all for ten years. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't re-up it. I, mean, I wouldn't yeah. unless the SEC added Clemson and Notre Dame. And, and they came to you and said, we can't do this unless you re-up it. I mean, it, it would have to be something that was a huge impact on the conference and the sport for me to do anything like that. So there we go. Day one of SEC Media Day coverage. Be sure and hit that like and subscribe button. Even more importantly, turn your notifications on because as we get the interviews, and a lot of them will pertain to Tennessee, especially with Tennessee blowing out Missouri, rubbing their nose in it. Texas A&M a is on the schedule. And then also day one, we've got LSU, which I think is the, the other team along with Tennessee that's on the precipice of doing something great. We'll have interviews with their players and coaches throughout the day, media members as well. So it's a big week. The unofficial start to the college football season, SEC Media Days, Day one with Caleb Jarreau, Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Day one in the books. Got to have those notifications on off the hook sports.